The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our PC. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe leave a review if you're so inclined. I want to thank our sponsor, the all-inclusive podcast with Jay Ruderman. It's a great show, some great interviews on that, and for a great cause. Anywhere you find your pods, find the all-inclusive podcast with Jay Ruderman. Speaking of podcasts, this is one in case you tuned in and massively confused somehow, but you're listening to one right now. But we have we have someone on the line who's not only a podcaster herself, but someone who could coach you up to become the best voice you can possibly be. She's a voice actor, a voice coach. She has her own podcast, which we're going to talk about. And Liz Solar is in the virtual studios. Wow. It's not very often that I get some applause when I walk into a room. <laughs> So vir- thank you for that. A virtual room. Yeah, this is the kind of only applause we hear these days is this canned and you kind of know it's fake. But anyways, yeah, we're still living in interesting times, so we're we're still doing this virtually. But I gotta say, your the mic you're rocking makes it sound like you're right next to me, which is nice. I like to use a good mic. Right. It's what I some po- people buy like uh Christian Louboutin pumps side by a Neumann mic. So. Right. So you have a closet full of mics is what you're saying. <laughs> I have a, well, and as a matter of fact, we moved during the pandemic. We oh. moved last December. We downsized. And while we're waiting to create a basement that has a workout room, because that comes first, yeah. and, and then a place to work, I'm building a new studio. I'm actually broadcasting from my walk-in closet. I can't. You can tell. There's a lot of there's a lot of podcasting going on in closets, and so as podcast on behalf of the podcast community, I'd like to say we look forward to coming out of the closet. Oh, hey, thank you. Well, boom. Yes. Yeah. I don't have a rim shot ready for that. Don't deserve it. Yes, we can. We can, of course. Yes, Liz, your your business is coaching people up on on how to make their voices powerful, and or are you coaching voice actors and people that want to do that? Or tell us a little bit about the whole biz. I am coaching some people who want to get into the business. While I both try to warn them like what it's going to be about, they think, oh, I'm going to use this as an adjunct to whatever else I'm doing now, and I'm going to make so much money. And mm. it's like, okay, well, come back to me in 30 years and tell me that that's working. <laughs> right. Because it's, it, it's a lot of work. It's The marketing is harder, actually, than learning voiceover and voiceover is really you used to hear a lot of voice of god types or goddesses mm-hmm. now it's we want to be peer-to-peer so we want people to sound like real human beings but it's a matter of voice acting is is helped by actual acting experience but it's a whole different animal about enunciation and timing and getting into the attitude of what that spot is so one thing i do is voice over coaching. The other piece that I do is some presence coaching, which I really hate that word because it assumes that you can teach someone presence, which I think is a very internal thing. But I help people prepare 
and practice when they have to do storytelling. And that could be corporate storytelling or regular storytelling a la TED Talks. And, and a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to go in and wing it because I want to be natural and authentic. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to figure out a central theme to your talk. So it's not just teaching people to speak, but it's helping people prepare to speak. What do you have to say? Because most of us, and I think you come from radio background, perhaps. Right. <laughs> and, but you're told for, for me, my, my broadcasting background is you have 30 seconds to say something impactful. Why do I care that you're saying that? And that's 30 seconds. Now we ask people five, six minutes, perhaps up to eight to 10 minutes, come up with a story that's compelling. And it's always going back to why are you here? You know, What's, what's, what do you want to say to somebody and what are they going to walk away with after you finish talking? Mm -hmm. So that, I think that goes across the board, whether it's a 30 second commercial or a, a half hour talk in an auditorium. Mm -hmm. That pick up on a couple of things you said there, which were, which were very cool. The first one is that you think the thirst for the voice of God has has fallen off. In other words, it became a running joke. I don't know the name of the guy who used to do the movie voiceovers, but he was famous and to the point where it became a running joke, the, the inner world guy, inner world. Yes, where, La Fontaine. Is, is, yes. Is that, is that his yeah. name? Okay. And uh, we kind of became used to that, but why why is it not in vogue now, do you think? I Well, bottom line mm -hmm. is the bottom line, I think, because... There used to be a joke, once he died, that style would go away. Mm. It did. I, I think it was, now you just see scenes from a movie. It's a lot of documentaries where you n might not hear voiceover. You still may. National Geographic or Smithsonian Discovery Channel, there's still plenty of people using voiceover. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they're using people in-house. And whether that's documentary style for a corporation or for a movie, it's the same. So the trailer just could be like the, what they assemble as the best of scenes, edited together, and they don't really have to hire anybody to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And they use a lot of times music or other types of sound design to get that point across. So and off, often you'll hear that, that one great line in a movie because... I don't know. Personally, I love movies and I haven't seen a lot that I'm inspired by in the last couple of years. So you'll hear that like one kind of funny line. It's like, that's as funny as this movie gets. Well, <laughs> hard pass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so part of its cost, I think the other part of it is the voice of God. And I don't want to say that doesn't count anymore. You certainly hear projects with it still. People still enjoy it. But Far and away, people want to be talked to by a peer. So even now you hear things like Allstate commercials. Now that's Alicia Keys mm. doing the you're in good hands now. And it's yeah. a much kind of lighter, friendlier peer-to-peer -peer rather than that big voice. Yeah. Which is still amazing. Dennis Haysberg. Dennis Haysberg from the Allstate commercials, of course, right? He, yes. <laughs> he, he became a, came a joke in and of itself. But yeah, De oh, so we lost to Don LaFontaine in 2008. And if you're wondering who Liz and I are talking about, this is what Don LaFontaine sounds like. In a world, in the year 2017, in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force it's, it could apply to anything <laughs> in a world where the garbage has to be picked up every day 
there are two men that decided to do it. The celebrity voiceover thing is interesting because at one point it would have be seen as day class A for like uh, Robert De Niro or I don't know, like a Mia Farrow or someone of, of famous of their day to do voiceover for commercials. It would be seen as kind of cheap. But that's changed. I, th- I think Alec Baldwin might have had a lot to do with that. He he did a lot of them, and what a voice. Oh, oh he's the king. He did yeah. the voiceover in the Royal Tenenbaum. So that's if right. you're a Wes Anderson fan, I mean, that was just masterful. Just mm-hmm. Great storytelling. Yes. But, you know, again, he, he he is a great storyteller. So it's not just that he has this incredible voice and it's iconic. He, he knows what to do with it, and he knows how to use it for comic effect, too, which right. not everybody does. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, th- th- this is like, uh, I'm stating the obvious, but this is a golden age of documentaries. And I think, I think as the viewer, you, many of us probably don't even realize we saw a great documentary, whether there was a voiceover or not, because some of, for some of them, it's, it still helps. But for some, I think it's become a lazy way to tell a story. And so say t- t- something like Tiger King didn't need a voiceover. It was told through the people. And I wonder if that makes it harder for the documentarian. I don't know. Would you prefer there to be a few continuing with voiceovers so that you and your legion of voiceover stars continue to get work on those? Well, well, voiceover quickly fills in information that we may not get that's obvious. And and, and I I cite Sex in the City, like certain Mm. things. She's writing her column. And so it was a really great device to fill in. I couldn't help but wonder. So there's, you know, and then she would ask her question. So I couldn't help but wonder, why are they doing a remake of three almost elderly women (laughs) in the city drinking Cosmos? So um, that's my my voiceover for it. Good. Um, Very good. Yeah. Thank you very much. I thought you were going to say, couldn't help but wonder how Kim Cattrall could have had something better to do than to star in the remake. Was it her that well, was it her that didn't come back? Or uh, yeah, I kind of uh, get uh, it. She's yeah. like, I'm over sixty. I don't want to be running around <laughs> town in high heels. Right. My my dogs are hurting. Yeah, so I right. totally right. I totally get her bowing out. And of course, there's I don't know rumors of <clears throat> people not getting to, getting along. So I okay. don't know yeah, was- whatever that is. But I, I do think a great voiceover like we do we will kind of remember a body of work, but I think a really great voiceover and it really doesn't matter what the ad is. We, we walk away with from that ad or of documentary feeling that was really great. And we don't know why. And the best voiceover is actually more of a referencer than the star of the show. The voiceover is just there in support of the story. Mm -hmm. It's a different, yeah, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a different, it's a different animal when it's audio only. Then you really are the star because you have to fill in all the pictures with your words, with the, the way you convey those words. Yeah, and that's with podcasting being the latest innovation, call it. It's, it's not new anymore, but in, ter- in terms of storytelling. And, of course, Sarah Koenig's podcast, Serial, was a watershed moment, and everyone's listened to that. And and. That was kind of the ultimate voiceover, not really voiceover, but she's telling the story as it's unfolding for us. And so that brings me to podcasting, I guess. And so it is, is tell us about, we want to hear about your podcast, which is called Embark, but tell us about, do most podcasters need coaching up? Do you listen to a lot of them and cringe and say, oh my God, I could be doing that better? 
Well, I, I used to do some on-camera work and someone said to me, you're going to really hate the first 25 or 50 times that you're on camera. I don't even think I appeared on that much. So yeah. there's a lot of self-loathing going on around that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that we, we don't give things a, the learning curve that it needs at this point. So some people start out and yeah, it's a little rough, but I think that we all try to find our comfort zone within what we're trying to do. Some people are, why are you doing it? What, again, it goes back to why are you offering this in, in this moment? And and what's the takeaway for your listener? And we often do things that please ourselves and that's fine. Those are the labors of love, I think. Like, because I really have to do this. I have to check this off. But for for a lot of podcasters, the, the question really becomes, what's your content? What are you offering? If you have a rocky start, we all start off rocky. And if you don't have a background doing it, the only way to get better at it is like everything else is to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think most podcasts die within the first year. It's First of all, it's a huge commitment. So people come in and they're really not prepared. I'm not going to check out anything bio or website for my guests. So I don't have as much problem with the delivery of it because I always think, well, that improves and you can get help improving that too. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to put the time into actually developing an idea, a storyline, or takes a genuine interest in the guests so that they're really doing their homework beforehand. You, mm-hmm. you you just can't wing 30 minutes or most of us can't anyway. Agreed. And I would add that the, if the biggest crime is lack of preparation, the second, second biggest crime is just not listening. And the, the, the I listened to Mark Maron's podcast for a long time. For those that don't know, comedian famously started a podcast in his, in his garage and ended up having so many listeners that president Obama was on with him in his garage. And uh, he, he, he talks sometimes about his craft and he would say, well, I kind of made it up on the go. I don't know. I just figured this is the next thing. He, he did enough preparation so that he knew the basics and he knew where to go, but then also a masterful listener. So, and the nice thing about podcasts is there, there tends to be no clock. In other words, there are very few podcasters that say my podcast needs to be 27 minutes on the dot every time. So you can go a little longer. You can always fix it editing if you want to, but if someone goes down a little, you're listening and you, you hear them mention some little detail about this or that, you can go down that path. So let's talk about your podcast, which is called the Embark Podcast. First of all, why is it called, why is it called that? Well, at first, I, I really thought about the change that we're all going through in this. People will say, we're all in this together. Or we're all in the same boat. And I thought, we're not really in the same boat. Mm-hmm. We're in the same storm. Mm-hmm. And how is that affecting people? So I always am, I'm always fascinated by what happens when people go through something that is upsetting to their lives. And it's what happens after that change. And generally, we come out a little better because we form more empathy. And and once we have that change, we have to embark on something new. So at first, it was about stories, maybe tough times. It's more evolved into what's new and the, it's what's new, why is this important, what's going on in this moment that is the catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding because I come from a creative background and I really enjoy creatives that I'm asking more and more people who are communicators or writers or filmmakers, 
that type of person really interests me because they're really creating the things that are going to be long lasting. I, I find 20 years ago, if either one of us showed up for a job in high tech, they'd say, yeah, we, we don't really need anybody with soft skills. Mm. Now, every corporation is, we need people with soft skills because we need better communication. So the writers and the, the dreamers and the creative, the speakers, those are the people in most demand. Everybody, maybe you've noticed this, not only has a podcast, they're writing a book. So someday <laughs> yeah. we're going to have a book too. We'll be talking about our new books. <laughs> yes. We can come on each other's respective podcasts to hawk our new book. I have, exactly. Yeah. I have a book I've been working on for about um, 20 years in my head, but there's nothing on paper yet, which tends to be kind of a, a problem when you're trying to actually write something. Well, put it on paper because I've been working on it's and it's fiction. I've been in a work group, a writer's group for the last, now it's going on 10 years, writing a book and it's, it's done. And now I find I'm in the revision process and that's, that's harder. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a lot harder. So, but so write it down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Everybody um, take five. I'm going to write my book now. So no. Um, just, so uh, <laughs> ta- talking, with, talking with Liz Solar, uh, the website is, as you might expect, Liz Solar.com. L-I-Z-S-O-A. Sorry. I can spell. It's okay. L-I-Z in the solar, like the sun. S-O-L-A-R.com. Is that where people should go to find, I guess, both uh, your podcast yeah, and all your other stuff? Yep. Podcast and all my other stuff. I do write for writer's blog with oh, nice. helpful hints and fun experiences. And that's called Acts of Revision. Acts of Revision. Ooh, I like it. So, Actsofrevision.com. Yeah. Okay. Embark podcast, find it at the same place. I think it's genius because after you do a season of Embark and people beginning a new course of action, you could do one about when people completely abandon that course of action and just call it Disembark. That would be the sister podcast. <laughs> You're with me? It's going, and the one thing, we experience change mm-hmm. all the time. And I... I don't think it's any accident that I think about change and I write about revision. We're always doing that. And if you listen to the public discourse, it's revising all the time. So we personally and collectively revise things. And I think it's to suit the moment and sometimes out of necessity. Like We can't go on in a certain way in our lives. And so we, we revise that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the big mistakes that people make in, in terms of public speaking, voiceover, all the stuff that you coach people up on? You hit it earlier. It's listening mm-hmm. and it's active listening. And people have blown auditions, not because they weren't talented, but they didn't listen to a director. They didn't follow a direction. Somehow we've developed into this culture of directions are for chumps. Like, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go in there and wow them with what I want to do. And one of the, there's no, one of the rules, I think, in, in terms of if you're auditioning or you're sending something to somebody who's asking for something is to give them exactly what they asked for. What's it, even if you think it's a ridiculous idea, give them that and then say, and, and with people, I have done this in a session. Hey, I, I have an idea. Do you mind if I try this out in front of you? And then you do your idea. Mm-hmm. And and often, and we hear it about movies all the time, that's the thing that ends up in the movie. Right. right. It, and so most of us will say, we don't know what we want. I'll know it when I hear it. Mm. And, and our job becomes being that person that comes in and says, oh, is this the thing you were thinking of? Yeah. And one of the things that we don't do enough of is take a risk 
on ourselves, to be ourselves. We talk about it all the time, but it's a much more difficult thing to do. So a lot of it is being yourself and, and not getting so attached to the outcome because you're going to be rejected 90% of the time. Mm. That's on a good day. <laughs> so you have to develop a thick skin. And that's not something I came in with, mm. but it's something that I've developed. Not that uh, and I don't, I'm not a tough person, but, but I think you end up saying, I can't take it personally. Because if I do, I'm going to go and work in retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The moment that I was reminded of was when you when you're talking about a director giving directions and try it this way and try it that way the supposedly I don't know if it's uh, apocryphal or not but in the movie uh, the empire strikes back there's a famous scene where Han Solo is about to be frozen in carbonite and Princess Leia is going to Star Wars nerds know what I'm talking about Princess Leia decides this moment she's going to finally admit that she loves him and she says I love you. And I think in the script, he was supposed to say, I love you too, as he goes and he gets frozen. And it wasn't working. It didn't feel right. And then finally, off script, she says, I love you. And he just says, I know. And, and gets frozen. And that becomes one of the most iconic lines in that series. And so thank God he, you know, was daring enough to, to go off script, but very on point for, uh, are you a Star Wars nerd? No, Liz, not at all. Not a, not a nerd, <laughs> but I, I love it. And I'm a, I'm a Carrie Fisher appreciator oh, yeah. because yeah. she's the great writer. I mean, I do think she made everything she did better. I think in when Harry met Sally, she said so many great things like nobody's going to want that wagon wheel, or if we ever get divorced, I don't want that wagon wheel. I mean, she's, she just had this incredible timing. And I, I think a lot of human Yes, yeah, she was one of the ones who went on from that Star Wars uh, galaxy, pardon the pun, but her, she and Harrison Ford had were pretty good in everything they did after that. Yes, yeah, she played the perfect best friend to Sally in that movie, just oh, with, with her, all of her little, she had a Rolodex of people she was thinking about dating and says, how about this guy? No. How about this guy? No. And then <laughs> the, she's, of course, dating some married guy and Sally says, you know, she's he's never going to leave her and it and she's Carrie Fisher says you're right you're right I know you're right and she repeats that about several times I just murdered yeah. uh Carrie Fisher's material sorry Carrie that's Fisher. A, that, that's okay she I I from what I understand she was very forgiving about that stuff so yes and now, and now she's not around to complain so uh, rest in peace he, Carrie we love you yes you know David you mentioned something about that scene and this is the other thing people love it's the element of surprise and in a good way. So if we surprise people with something, you can land a line. And, and I'm a big film nerd. Mm-hmm. And one of my fam- favorite movies is Almost Famous. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm a huge Philip Seymour Hoffman appreciator. Yep. God rest his soul. Yes. And he would come out with things that directors never thought about. There's a speech, and I don't know whether you're, if you're a film nerd, I if am. you've seen the movie. He gives this talk towards the end of the movie to William, the, the character who's a stand-in for Cameron C- Crowe, yep. who's writing this article for Rolling Stone magazine. And he knows the truth about these guys now. He's kind of been a fan, but now he knows what they're about. And Philip Seymour Hoffman says, no, you've got to be ruthless and just write about what you have seen and have some integrity about this. These people are not your friends. And the direction was for him to be very angry mm. and yell it. And Philip Seymour Hoffman made a choice to make it an intimate moment. And I think there's an iconic line in 
the in the movie that says the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what happens between two people when they're being uncool because he's telling William, I've met you and you're not cool. Right. So it takes a moment that could have been filled with angst and anger and negativity and really humanizes a character. And I, I do think that no matter what we do in our art to express something, it's sometimes going with the opposite feeling. Yeah. It's that instead of yelling, sometimes if you get small, that really draws people in. I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was so great in every, everything he did. Yeah, in, in, almost, in almost Famous, he played uh, legend. I mean, parts of that tale are fictionalized and parts are in real life. He played a real-life DJ named Lester Bangs, and I have a little bit of that right here. Why don't we listen to some of this? Liz, you get to, wa- <laughs> you get to watch. The rest of the audience gets to Everything. listen. But you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Okay, fine. If you're going to be a true journalist, you know, a rock journalist, you first you never get paid much, but you will get free records from the record company. <laughs> Fucking nothing about you that is controversial, man. There you go. <laughs> God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. You're going to meet girls. They're going to try to fly you places for free, offer you drugs. And I know it sounds great. But these people are not your friends. These are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars. And they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. So great scene. And that kind of that's kind of the central point of the movie now that I think about it. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman is only in that movie for about, what, seven minutes total or something. But that's that that was the conflict of the film that young William had to deal with that does he dive into this world of rock and roll which he loves so much and let everybody kiss his ass and then write as the character said a sanctimonious piece I don't know miss him no and you you really nailed it oh you're you're a film nerd I love this can we hang sure yeah (laughs) I got time (laughs) yes no so yeah Philip Seymour Hoffman elevated everything he was in he could be the biggest jerk and the kindest person, yeah, Phil yeah. Palma. Yeah. You know, just, he yeah, the first thing I saw him thing. in. The first thing I saw him in. I'm not sure if this is his first movie, but he was played a prep school, pardon the expression, douchebag in in the movie Scent of a Woman. He was Chris O'Donnell's friend that that, that was had no spine and but. I went to Milton Academy, and I recognize a lot of people I went to school with in that, in that <laughs> yeah. character. He did it really well. Yeah, yep, yep. He could he could do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break before we're having too much fun, and so up against the clock here with Liz Solar. Again, don't forget to, don't forget to go to com for her podcast, Embark, and all the other cool stuff that she does. You can learn about it. We'll be back with an edition of Good Stuff, where both Liz and I will recommend something cool that you should check out today. And uh, we'll be back in about 51 seconds. Hang with us, please. Hi, I'm Jay Ruderman. All Inclusive is a podcast focused on inclusion and social justice. Join me as I interview leaders and experts on the latest news focused on advocacy for social justice. In order to make progress that will lead to a more equitable future, honest discussions must be held. That is what All Inclusive is all about. Listen and subscribe to the All Inclusive podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Visit the show website for more information and full episode transcripts at www.allinclusivepodcast.com. 
back here on the Boston Podcast with Liz Soller. And by the way, kids, if you want your own podcast, that's what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. We do it out of our studios in Westwood, Mass., but also virtually. If you want your own podcast, you could be the next big podcast star like Liz and go to pod617.com to get started. To be clear, I do not produce Liz's podcast, and I would love to one day maybe, but it's, it's, it doesn't need any help, frankly, so... Just to, to that. just to make yeah. that absolutely clear. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's play. I'm sorry. Did you have something else? Because I actually had your audio down for a minute there, Liz. I don't want to. No, I'm good. I okay. didn't want to speak over your commercial. I mean, we know what that's about. So yeah. Well. Well. <clears throat> and didn't you always hate that DJ that would talk over your favorite part of the song? And yes. You know, yes. Now I do that yes. all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah, but they're using it for commerce, so it doesn't count. Yes, good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, and let's get to a couple more points as we roll out the good stuff carpet. Let's do it. Oh, that's the good stuff. First of all, A plus to you, Liz, because the the best guests always dance to the B fifty two. So <laughs> you got that one right. Well done. Um, how can you not? Come on. So well, this is where we recommend something good, Liz. Do you have something good to recommend to our listeners? Anything at all? I I do. I've tried not to watch too much television, but I found something on Netflix. It is called Call My Agent. Mm-hmm. It, it's a French production, so they speak French mm-hmm. most of the time. Yep. And it's about a bunch of talent agents in Paris who are kind of backstabbing and often self-loathing and self-sabotaging and always choose work over their personal relationships. So it's really fun to watch. There's always some kind of a train wreck going on and they use legitimate French actors. In fact, even one American actor, Sigourney Weaver was in an episode being like, full-on diva it was really fun to watch mm-hmm. uh so i will recommend that it has subtitles if you hate subtitles i don't know what to tell you yeah. suck it up <laughs> but it it's a really great show so that's that's one thing that i can that's a good one recommend very yeah, good one i've, I've good seen one. the show I, I didn't i think i took a pause somewhere in season one but i just love one of the lead actresses is camille cotton she, <sighs> She's the one very distinctive face. This is mean to say, but she kind of has a big nose, but it, it works. Like she's she's beautiful and interesting and different. And I just caught her in something else, and now it's going to kill me. So I'm going to look up what it is. Well, she's in she's in Killing Eve. I didn't realize that. And she's in no, she's in something I just saw. What was it? I'll figure it out later. Anyway, but yeah, you got to get used to the subtitles. I mean. Come on, now everybody's seen or is about to see Squid Game. You got subtitles in that. But the thing about Call My Agent is, like, it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy, but it's a comedy. And the, and you will laugh, even though you would think sometimes a lot of comedy would get lost in translation, literally. But not so much with this one, right? And no, not at all. I mean, I, I'm following it. In my high school French, I'm trying to, oh, alors, I, I, I know what that means. <laughs> you know, like I get yeah. very excited over very small things. So, yeah, <laughs> right. that is. I, I have a book recommendation, and this is coming oh, sure, go from, for it. because I do voice acting, and I have voiced the occasional audio book. But the book is great. It's called The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. Mm-hmm. And the audio version is read by Tom Hanks. Oh, 
America, no, this America's is like grandfather, the, yes. Right, the creme de la creme. Mm. But man, that man can spin a yarn. He <laughs> has elevated a book from being a great book to being, oh my God. Yeah. So I would highly recommend listening to Tom Hanks read the phone book. Well, the phone book, <laughs> that's kind of an old reference, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, what's a phone book? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, read through all of Wikipedia. I guess that would be the, the modern-day version of that. Yeah, and it just goes to show you voiceovers do matter, and, and whose voice is more soothing and confident at the same time than Tom Hanks? Okay, so no need for end of crisis, everyone. I figured out what else Camille Cotton was in. She she was in that Matt Damon movie, Stillwater, which came out this earlier this year. Very good movie, which I've seen three-quarters of. And then went went to go back and watch the rest of it and realized that I had bought it for like seventeen ninety nine and that oh, it ex- no. and it expired. So now I got to wait until because I can't buy it again for seventeen ninety nine just to watch the last thirty minutes. She was good in it though. So and um, clearly uh, like an international star now. Anyway, I will recommend something good for good stuff. I had something lined up and then I called an audible and changed it at the last minute because you mentioned Wes Anderson and I can't actually recommend this movie yet because it's not out yet, but I'm so excited that Wes Anderson has a new movie called The French Dispatch. So let's take a little listen to the trailer for The French Dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into The French Dispatch, a fact weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. Decent people. Supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal, certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. Now, let's stop it there, because... I feel like I could watch this trailer all day because I'm getting more and more excited. So the thing that you, you might not have picked up on, listeners, was this cast looks phenomenal, right? You get the usual Wes Anderson repertory members, Owen Owen Wilson, wow, another Wes Anderson movie I'm going to be in. That's terrific. Not, eh, not too bad I'm working on it. <laughs> but I, th- I think I spotted Bill Murray in there, as he usually is, Adrian Brody. Oh, let's see, who else? I don't know. It's, pro- it's probably I did good. see Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand, yes. And, and then she, Is that her voiceover? I just... Oh, that? I don't know. I'm not sure, because... And so there's a voiceover. I mean, someone's yeah. storytelling. Yeah, and as you mentioned before, Alec Baldwin did... Royal Tenenbaums, and he usually does have a voiceover. Let's listen. They want freedom, full stop. Definitely Frances McDormand. I only needed those two words. But Mm -hmm. I spotted the actress who's, oh, my God, I can't, I'm losing it. Uh, Mad Men, Handmaid's Handmaid's Tale. Oh, Elizabeth Moss. Yes, I spotted Elizabeth Moss in there as well. So I don't know when this movie's coming out. (laughs) This is not good podcasting, but I can't wait. Check your local listings for uh, The French Dispatch. So are you a fan of Wes Anderson? I love Wes Anderson. (laughs) He always makes me laugh and then feel a little sad at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get the feeling you're either in or you're out on Wes Anderson because I can see how some people just don't get him. It is a quirky brand of of storytelling. 
But the, what I love about it is he, well, he, he has said, this is probably in a commercial for MasterCard or something, but, but he has said he finds <laughs> beauty in imperfection and imperfections in beauty. And that's, that's kind of a nice way of putting it, but he'll take these people who are <clears throat> people who are way more confident than they should be about certain things. I think about Rushmore and the, the young man in that who like, amazingly produces this ridiculously production, a play that he creates and he's only in the 10th grade or 11th grade and takes it so seriously or some of the other characters. Like I remember Ben Stiller's character in Royal Tannenbaums who had his kids doing calisthenics every morning and, and just, just weird and just so likable. Right. What do you, what do you like about him? Well, it's, it's so reflective of who we are. We're very complicated there is one of my friends calls it the best and the worst of us and the worst and the best of us Yeah. so that you can take any character and they're so lovable because they're so flawed. I think that we want to see you know, perfection is overrated. I don't think number one, we ever get there. We probably drive people crazy in pursuit of it. And so maybe it's a matter of going after either excellence or saying, I'm going to do something that's just good right? and leave it, leave it at that. I think perfection is the enemy of um, production. Yes. You don't, want, you don't want to be known for just producing things, but I think what makes his movie so perfect is his his disregard for being perfectionist. Yeah. His movies are, per- his movies are perfection. I'm sorry. Oh, they I are. I got to go there with it. I don't know. I would have to go with the Royal Tenenbaums. I really do. I, I love that family. I love Angelica Houston. She's certainly not in enough movies. She's such a great presence. And the surprise of the relationships. And I I also love that scene where Bill Murray is shown a film of Gwyneth Paltrow's character just serially making a cuckold of him. And at the end of it, he says, she smokes. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, so again, it's like that element of surprise. And Bill Murray, he's another, he's a national treasure. He is. He's just, he's just so, he's that, he's that sad clown. Yeah. And I, I just love him so much. He's, have, he's so reflective and he's still a little bit of a rogue. And I love that combination. Yeah. Famously uh, reclusive and hard to track down in real life. There's that documentary called The Bill Murray Stories, I think, where a film. Have you seen that? No. Oh, you got no, to see, see that, Liz. Yeah. So okay. and to the rest of you, you should see it, too. I, I'm not sure where you find it. I'll try to look that up. But the the Bill Murray stories is a, a filmmaker who I think at the time was was an amateur filmmaker and he decided to chronicle there are these tales about Bill Murray that people that that people hear that he pops up like he'll he'll photobomb someone and then then he'll he'll show up and at a party a random like suburban party and start doing the dishes for someone or but and th- this filmmaker tracks down a lot of the these stories and uh, it's called Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a, a Mythical Man. And it looks like you can stream it, uh, pay three bucks on Amazon Prime and, and pick that up and, and watch it. Because um, the, the story becomes more about the to hunt down the myths about Bill Murray. So he doesn't actually, he kind of sort of appears in the movie. I don't want to ruin it. Anyway, but uh, good call there. And my, my favorite Wes Anderson is one that is most, a lot of people think is his worst, but the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which stars Murray, of course, as mm-hmm. as the broken down oceanographer or whatever he is. And uh, geez, they're all great. So thank you, Wes. We, we look they're, forward to that. 
It's it's it's, it's imagination. Right. I prefer imagine even even like a bad movie. I feel the same way. Maybe it's the last name. Paul Thomas Anderson, P.T. Mm. Anderson. PTA. A lot of his movies are very flawed, sometimes a little bloated. Yep. But I love that he comes up with ideas that are original and he kind of lets it be whatever it is. Anyway, we could probably talk about film all day and people probably have lives to get yeah. back to. <laughs> yes. And we are up against the clock and, and it's a podcast, so that's cool. But... <clears throat> We want to thank Liz Solar. Thank you so much. Anything else people should know about what you do, go to LizSolar.com, right? Thank you. David, yeah. I think you said it all in that applause. I mean, could you just can that send it? Yes. So, like, when I say something to my kids and they tell me it's lame, I can say, I don't care. I'm being should, applauded anyway. They should, they should have that. <laughs> I mean, I think they do. They used to sell those things on a keychain. You could hit a button and just, if no one else is paying attention to you, you're like, well, the audience... <laughs> <laughs> studio audience seems to like it thank you liz for joining us i hope you had a good time oh excellent and great questions you're a lot of fun thanks david back at you back at you make sure to check out liz's podcast of course because it's what we talk about a podcast and embarks the name of it you know where to find it at this point if you want your own podcast i implore you people go to pod617.com we can produce one for you from start to finish you can do it remotely or in our westwood studios here and thanks again to our sponsor the all-inclusive podcast with jay ruderman find it anywhere you find your pods my name is dave i'm just a guy from boston on behalf of liz if you're not from boston you must be the other guy have a great day everybody go watch a movie